0: This message is from Living Rock Church and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. It's good to be part of a team, isn't it? Amen. It's great to be in a good team together and uh, this weekend is about celebrating what God has been doing, what God is doing, and what he, especially, it's about what he still wants to do amongst us. And uh, when I was young, I was always taught to say please and thank you. That's essentially what this weekend is about. But it's thank you and please. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. And Lord, please do much more amongst us. Um, On the front of your programs is a is a great verse in John chapter 8, where Jesus is, is asked a question, and in answer to the question, he says, My testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. It's a simple statement, we refer to it uh, quite frequently, uh, but there's so much truth in there, isn't there? That um, we, uh, our testimony, our identity comprises being sure of where we've come from and confident in where we're going. Having a good grasp of our history and our heritage and our roots and having a a clear and uh, easy to articulate vision of where we're going. A testimony that's valid because we know where we've come from and we know where we're going. And I just want to um, add to the thanks this morning because um, lots of people have made this weekend possible. It really has been great and uh, I drove home last night thinking, it's exceeded my expectations, it's, which were high anyway. But it was just, Friday night was fantastic, yesterday was just just so enjoyable. Wasn't it good to be together and to be enjoying... The presence of God, the family of God, and know God was with us and speaking with us in in the um, in in the times that we were in worship and in the workshops, and um, and, and then we could go from that to uh, wearing sumo suits and knocking each other all over the place. God is good, um, but a special thanks to um, Mike and William. They put all the timeline together, and it's um, we even had somebody visit from Cardiff yesterday. Who, um, sorry, Mike and Ben, who who um, Somebody came up from Cardiff and, and, and they came to look at the timeline. Well, they'd come for other reasons, but they dropped in <laughs> to look at the timeline. So, uh, well done, uh, Mike and Benj, for that. Um, thank you so much to the musicians and singers who have done, done a great job. To um, Alex and Lisa, I went up yesterday. It, it could have been Saturday morning kids' TV up there. It was so fantastic. And um, uh, the workshops with Richard and Shirley and Simon, uh, again, just great, high quality, superb input. Um, the displays around the room, please take time to look at those, Mum Stop, Father's Heart Ranch, uh, Zambia, Flint's Cafe, I think, uh, Living Rock, Kenya, and the International Friendship Centre. So have a good look at those. Have a look at the timeline of the photos out there. And don't rush off this morning, there's lots to look at, that's, that's the bottom line. If you turn to Acts 19, Acts 19, we'll read this story and then I want to just say something about why we've called this weekend Momentum. There was a great contribution yesterday afternoon from Jonathan Seabrook where he says, I arrived, I didn't really know what it was really. But, but God spoke to him. Where are you, Jonathan? Yeah, we appreciated that. <laughs> Acts 19. Um, it's the story of the church in Ephesus. We know that Paul wrote a letter to them, and we'll, we'll mention that in a moment. Um, but this this event takes place um, around about uh, 53, 54 AD. Okay, so just have that date sort of fixed in your mind. It's not a history lesson, this, but... Uh, that'll, that's significant. So this is about A.D. 53-54. It says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, uh, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues... And prophesied, there were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, And this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus ...over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of, of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day, the evil spirits answered them. Jesus, I know. And I know about Paul. But who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them... ...and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding... And when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who'd practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. It's a fantastic story, and we'll, we'll come back and, and look at it in, in a little detail in a moment. But first, I just want to say why we've called this weekend Momentum. If you look that word up, this is how it's defined. A quantity of motion of a moving body measured as a product of its mass and its velocity. It's a long time since I did physics. I think I think I know what those words mean. The quantity of motion of a moving body, measured as a product of its mass and velocity, that's its speed, it's the impetus gained by a moving object. Or it's the impetus and the driving force gained by the development of a course of events. Okay, you get the idea. And and I just think there are three things for us to say about this. The first is that momentum has to do with movement. A moving body. A body in motion. Going somewhere. Measured by size and speed. If something's getting bigger or going faster, moving faster, then we'd say it's gaining momentum. It's getting bigger and moving faster. And I'm so grateful to be part of a body that is going somewhere. Getting bigger and going somewhere. So momentum has to do with movement. Secondly, momentum is more than a moment. A moment is static, effectively. It's here and then it's gone. It was a moment. But momentum has to do with movement. It is, if you like, a series of moments. Such that the moments become a movement. Something's moving. There's momentum. With me? Thirdly, momentum must never become a monument. Church history is the story of many great movements that slowed down, ground to a halt and now are analysed by historians as monuments, exhibits of a bygone age. I hope we can all say we have no interest whatsoever in monuments and we long for far more than a moment. We want to be part of a body experiencing momentum. A church in ever-increasing spirit-empowered momentum. And it seems to me as I've been thinking about it that the, the critical question at every point is what happens next? Three words, 15 letters... One massive question, the answer changes everything. Yes. What happens next? If something begins to move, if something begins to, to grow, to pick up speed, to gain impetus, then at every stage the difference between a moment or a monument and real momentum will be what happens next. Do any of you remember um, question of sport? Before Sue Barker, yeah. our friend, before Sue Barker was ever involved in question of sport, there used to be this, this piece they did, and I think it was called, What Happens Next? And they'd play this clip of some sporting event, and, and they'd stop it at a certain point and say, what happened next? And, you know, it was, it was the, the ball hit the ball boy and he fell backwards, or, or the goalie tripped up and the ball went through his legs, or something remarkable and memorable that happened next. And that's the question for us, folks, is what will happen next? What will happen next? I trust we won't slip up and let the ball ball into the net. But um, we must give careful consideration to what we do next. The key to every move of God is not what happened, but what happens next. Abraham arose ...as the great man of faith. Because what happened next... ...after his father settled and died... ...was that Abraham got up and pressed on. Israel possessed the promised land... ...because what happened next... ...after Moses did his time and died... ...was that Joshua rose to lead God's people... ...with boldness and courage... Nehemiah led the great restoration and rebuilding and restoring of Jerusalem because what happened next after he'd wept and mourned and fasted and prayed for God's people and God's name and God's honor was that he left home and he rolled up his shirt sleeves and he went there and he did something. The early church turned the world upside down because what happened next after God poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost? was that they left the upper room and they began ministering in the marketplace, in the streets. Paul invaded Europe with the gospel. Because what happened next after Jesus met him on the Damascus road was that, Acts 9 tells us, he got up and was baptized and at once he began to preach. Do you understand what I'm saying? The critical thing at every point is, what's going to happen next? When God's made the first move, how do we respond? What is next? And this will determine whether a move of God will be a special moment, or a sad monument, or a sensational time of momentum. What will happen next in your life? What will happen next? What will happen next for us? Are you winding down or winding up? Are you slowing down or are you speeding up? Are you becoming more conservative in, in, the, um, in the sense of being less willing to do? The opposite of which is, are you becoming more convinced, more courageous? Uh, what was the, Brian's third thing? More consecrated and more celebratory than ever. You know, what direction are you going in, folks? What will you do next? what will you do tomorrow? What will you do this afternoon? The Ephesian church is, um, is one of the greatest examples of momentum in the New Testament and we read the story in Acts 19 and I just want to, to just take us through it and make a few comments here. As I said, this is about AD 53 and it's the story of a body experiencing Enjoying and creating momentum. And as we watch what's happening here, we can see key factors at every stage. Have, have a look at it with me. It begins with, if you look just a little bit up a bit, in 18, chapter 18, verse 23. Paul is in Galatia, he's somewhere else. But what happened next was that he took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. And there he finds 12 disciples. But what happens next is that he asks them if they've received the Holy Spirit. Now, they've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. But what happens next is Paul probes them further. And he finds out they've not been baptized into the name of Jesus into, in water either. And so what happens next is that he lays essential foundations in their lives by baptizing them in water and by laying hands on them so that they receive the baptism in the spirit and they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Knowing that God has started something, what happens next is that Paul spent three months teaching them about the kingdom of God. Some people were stubborn and rejected the message and spoke against him, he faced some headwinds. But what happened next was that rather than giving up, Paul pressed on. And he taught daily for two years. I think this is the longest Paul stays anywhere. Three months, then another two years. So that what happened next, just look at that description in in chapter 19, verse 10, is that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that remarkable? All the Jews and Greeks in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Because at each stage, something happens next. And then what happened next was that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. How incredible that God has to do, that that, that Luke, the Holy Spirit, as he's writing through Luke, has to distinguish between miracles and extraordinary miracles. There's some momentum here, folks. Something is happening. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. The sick, the demon possessed were set free. The sick were healed. And what happens next is others try to invoke the name of Jesus and cast out demons. But what God does next is use this to bring great honor to his name. And it leads to the fear of God. It leads to a great move of repentance and purification. And what happens next, and just look at verse 20 here, is that in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This is a story of great momentum. Paul goes there. He lays foundations. The gifts of the Spirit are operating. He teaches the kingdom of God. Multitudes hear the gospel, extraordinary miracles occur, it becomes a haven of health, the fear of the Lord grips the whole community, wild flowers are added, the word spreads widely and grows in power. The Ephesian church had made a great start, but it doesn't end there. What happens next is a riot We didn't read this bit, but it goes on to say that if you look at verse 26, large numbers of people in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia have been impacted, have been touched, have been changed in some way by this gospel. And Paul at this point decides to move on. But what happens next, I'm into chapter 20 now, is that he gathers the church together, and in verse 1 it says he encouraged them before he moved on. That's important. That's not a sideline. He encouraged them. That That was an action. That was a what happens next action. I'm going to encourage this church. At some point, elders are obviously set in, because in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, and this, by the way, is now about a year later, A.D. 55, A.D. 56, a year or two later. And what happens next is that Paul met them, meets the elders. Verse 28, he, he, uh, he urges them to keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. In verse 30, he warns them, some will come in and distort the truth. Hello? And he commits them, verse 32, he commits them to the grace of God. Five years later, about AD 60, what happens next is that Paul writes them a magnificent letter. The book of Ephesians. In which he unfolds to them his huge revelation concerning the nature and the mission and the leadership, and the ministry, and the destiny of the church. I'll I'll assume, for the sake of time, that you're familiar with the book of Ephesians. If not, bedtime reading for the rest of your life. He reminds them in his letter that they've received every blessing in Christ. They've been chosen, they've been predestined as God's sons, that they've been saved by grace, that they've been raised up with Christ to the highest realms, that they're the body of Christ, that they're the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, that they're God's masterpiece, that they're a spiritual temple, that they're being built together to become a dwelling in which which God will live by his spirit. He prays for them to receive wisdom and revelation, to know his incomparably great power, to know his unknowably great love. And, to, and, the, and to, the, to know that God can do immeasurably more... ...than all they ask or think or imagine. And then he shows them that the ascended Christ... ...has given gifts to his church... ...apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers... ...and that these gifts are essential and necessary... ...until Jesus returns. Yeah, right. And that the church can never come to unity... ...maturity and fullness without them. Right. And then he reminds them that in fact... Uh, end of uh, chapter 4, verse 16, that in fact, the church can only ever become, God, what, become what God intends if every single member's found its part and is playing its place. And then he goes on in the, in, in, the second, uh, in, in the last three chapters to show them that all this has really practical implications for life and marriage and work and family and relationships between parents and children and the rest of it. It's the story of continuing momentum. The Ephesian church didn't just start well, it continued well. From great beginnings to a great maturing, to a great filling out, a great expansion, a great embrace of revelation and identity and purpose. And what happened next kept taking it forward. I read somewhere that this church in Ephesus, in the time of Paul's writing, AD 60, AD 61, seven or eight years after that incident in Acts 19, that this church may well have been in the order of 20 or 30,000 members. Now that, my friends, is momentum. From 12 to thousands... In seven or eight years. They started well, they continued well. I'm talking about the Ephesians, but I'm also talking about us. Where have we come from? Our testimony is valid if we know where we've come from and we know where we're going. And it's good to look back as long as we do so only in order to move forward. It's good to see key moments on the journey and to see how they join together and to see how the moments have become a movement and, and how momentum has been created. And that's what these timelines are all about and they can only show a few little details. And I just, just thought it would be good this one to say something of my personal reflection right? because I know you'll be able to relate to this. Deborah and I were saved in 1984 and baptized in the Holy Spirit and some of you weren't even alive there but I tell you the 80s were great. Shoulder pads, big hair. More to the point, we got saved and baptized in the Spirit. Amen. And we became really hungry for the things of God. And um, we had a, we'd, we'd, we'd both had some involvement in, in very traditional established church life. But in 1985, we were invited to something called the Dale's Bible Week. We'd never really heard of it either. I can relate to Jonathan. Uh, see but we got what 's all this about we didn 't really have a clue we 'd listened to some tapes of, of the worship. Well, it was like nothing we 'd ever heard before. It was like Christians who love Jesus. It was amazing and um, all I can say is, in about half an hour of walking into that first gathering in that Bible week, my life changed now obviously, Jesus has saved me that was, that was, um, that was the main thing. but I heard some preaching. I heard Bryn and Kerry Jones speaking. And I began to see that the church that Jesus was building was entirely different to what I'd ever experienced. I saw that it was built on apostles and prophets. I'm not sure I saw all this at the time, but when I look back, I had a great revelation. Something was happening. I remember the goosebumps. That the church had purpose and mission. And was destined to be a beautiful bride, made perfect and blemishless by Jesus. I saw that God was restoring all things and was establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In um, 1986, we joined a church in Leicester, Leicester Christian Fellowship, which was led around about that time by Brian Shutt, who you met on Friday night, and some of you know already, and by Ron Eagle, Andrew's father, and by uh, Fred Marlowe. And I, I came into a situation by, where inspiring men yes. began to care for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 still, I found it difficult for months to get over the fact that grown men would cry in the presence of Jesus because they loved him so much. It, changed, it totally changed my, my perspective, my worldview. And these brothers, these men, uh, friends uh, who cared for us and discipled us, also began to release us into some of the things God had for us. In about 1988, I knew God spoke to me really clearly to go into the countryside and villages and gather his sheep together. And um, a couple of years later, we moved to Narborough and began leading a home group there. And, um, and a couple of years later, in 1993, I think it was, we began reaching out around the, the villages and uh, we had our, our group began to grow and we started to meet on Sunday evenings in the Narborough Parish Centre, a fine venue. And, and, and there are some originals as I like to think of them, some originals um, like Brenda Davis and Christine Gregory and Paul and Janet Slatter and I don't know anybody else from that era, but if, if you are here today, and I hope they are, Brenda, I can see Brenda at least, and Chris, would you just stand up if you are here from that very early rock of life day, just just the dynamic duo I want to honour you Stephen and Mandy, yes want to honour you for your faithfulness and Phil Dennis it's been a great journey And there was growth around the villages, and by 1995, Rock of Life fell at Christian Fellowship with, I don't know, I don't remember, maybe 40 adults was, was established. And then in 1996, Kerry Jones laid hands on Julian and I and set us in as elders of that new church, new expression of the church. Meanwhile, in Hinckley, something similar was happening. <laughs> Debbie Parker's here. I think you'll be one of the originals there, Debbie. And, um, and a home group had been meeting at Stuart and Mary's home. Mary, are you here today? She's away, okay. And uh, I think Simon and Liz were in that group. I think probably Richard and Alison. If you were in that original group in Hinkley, would you stand? Lawrence and Alison, of course. Jean, of course. Graham. And again, I want to honour you. It's been a fantastic journey and... There's a terrible chorus, isn't there? By the grace of God, we will carry on. I hate that verse. It sounds like, you know, by the grace of God, we'll carry on. But thank God for the grace of God who's who's propelled us on. That would be a better way of putting it, wouldn't it? Propelled us on. It's a great chorus, by the way. I just don't like that line. Not that I'm fussy about lines in songs or anything like that. Anyway, Rock of Life moved to uh, other venues to accommodate the momentum. Who can forget the Enderby Civic Center? Thomas Esley College. I honestly don't, I don't know all the venues that Hinkley, the Hinkley group met in. But I know both groups began planning ahead and saving money to have a tool that would be more suitable. Yeah. And in 2000, Kerry asked Julian and myself if we would meet and talk with um, Tony Ling, Matthew Ling and Charles Smith, who were the elders in Hinkley at the time. Prior to that, there was uh, John Magos and Carl Ropp had been elders there. And um, asked us if we would meet together, if we would pray and consider whether we believed it would be good for us to join these groups together. It took us about 10 minutes, I think. Uh, We did did meet and pray. We felt we should do exactly what Kerry had asked us. And we we decided we felt it would be good. I remember a meeting at the Trinity Marina where we gathered the, the life group leaders and some of the other leaders together. And and we shared with them, we said, Kerry's asked us this, I think Kerry was with us on that occasion, and we, um, we believe it. it will be good. What do you guys think? I remember Simon Rowland, I always remember this, Simon stood up at the end of the meeting and he said, I think it's the most exciting thing I've heard in 10 years. Or <laughs> words to that effect. Again, that's how I remember it, Simon. <laughs> and so we, we shared it with the church, there was a great warm embrace to this sense of coming together. And we merged our elderships and our leaderships and our finances and our legal trusts. And it was fantastic and exciting. And I remember in in the first um, time we gathered together to pray in Ted and Esther's home. And Kerry was present. And in that gathering, um, the Lord spoke to us. And he said, your boundary lines will be your starting places. You'll see that up on, on the timeline somewhere. Because we took that to be an endorsement of the great desire we had to spread out, to plant out, to reach out. And we adopted a a phrase which has stood the test of time well, that we wanted to be a people from the heart of the nation to the ends of the earth. We met weekly in Thomas Esley and Mount Grace, but once a month we met all together. Twice we did that at the Enderby Leisure Centre, that was a disaster. (laughs) Um, the acoustics were not good. And, um, and then, uh, I don't know whether there was anybody else, we then met at the Hinkley Island Hotel on our monthly gatherings for a while. cost us a fortune. And, um, and we decided the money would be much better spent investing in something that we could use all the time. Um, over over the next few years, we added Stephen Peake into the eldership. Stephen. And, um, and Richard Jones and Chris Alton. And then at various points, Julian stepped down from the eldership because of other commitments. Steve did the same. And again, we've done this, but I just want to honor those brothers for a fantastic part. We bought the building. We we did battle with the planners. We completed it. We did it all without borrowing any money from the banks. Praise God. Um, different key ministries started Mumstop International Friendship Centre Matthew and Ruth in due course moved to Coventry uh, Richard and Sarah Gamble had paved the way there and in Lutterworth I should say that and did a great job for us again I want to honour you both for your willingness to move and go places and we we ultimately uh, released the Coventry group as a church in its own, in its own right with its own eldership Uh, lots of things happened over the last few years many of them you'll be more familiar with now as we get closer to today Uh, William from Kenya made contact a fruitful relationship began Uh, we visited there do you know now there are four congregations 350 people in four places great job in 2011 Caleb and Alex and Adam and Helen moved to Tamworth it was a boundary line and and, uh, there's now 40 to 50 people meeting in Tamworth every week A couple of years ago, we started meetings in Harbour, and again, there's 40, 50 50 people meeting in Harbour every week. Over the years, the prophetic word has kept us on track. It's been a fantastic journey so far. Some have already gone to be with the Lord, and their names are on there, and we honour them as well. They've joined a great cloud of witnesses, Sir John Semby, Pete Mazoulis, Jeff Taylor, Glenn Allen, Joan Holden, Joan Taylor. Doreen Russell, Kev Cowley, Ted Kent, Tony Blake, John Brown, Stuart Elliott, Esther Kent, in a cloud of witnesses spurring us on. Overall, we've started well. We're doing okay. God's been good. God is faithful. God's doing fantastic, by the way. He's he's doing more than okay. But the real key is what happens next. Because God wants us to make ever greater progress. If you look at the back of your program, you'll see some scriptures which just in various ways describe God's heart for progress, growth. You know, at the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, it tells us that the Lord added to their number every day those who were being saved. But then 20 years later, in Acts chapter 16, I think it is, it tells us again, God was adding every day those who were being saved. So where are we going? Well, we're going to the ends of the earth. Amen. Last year, we um, we made we 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 used in the church meeting at the start of year three big statements to describe what all this might look like. And I will just read them quickly. You can see the headlines of these on the website. But in reading them, I realise these can be just words. Okay, so I'm going to be specific afterwards. We said this: we see an unshakable church taking its place in an unshakable kingdom. We see a church built on firm foundations, on Christ, the living rock. We see a church seeking first the kingdom, whose worship brings pleasure to God and unlocks the treasures of heaven. We see a church of strength, security and stature, an anchor of hope in a shaking world. We see a church demonstrating the unity and community of the kingdom. Thousands of people of diverse backgrounds, united in Christ. A church where members honour and love one another, expressing unusual harmony. We see a church where gathering together is a priority and the Lord commands his blessing. Where every person can find their place, play their part and fulfil their destiny. We see a church growing every day in every way, a kingdom without limits and a harvest without precedent. We see a body mobilized for the mission, reaching out to the towns and villages with passion and compassion, a church bursting at the seams, establishing many other congregations and gatherings and expressing its kingdom life from the heart of the nation to the ends of the earth. I like them anyway. But I just want to be specific as we draw things to a close and, and, and just share seven very specific things that I think we will see over the next few years. The first is that we will be standing firm upholding God's word. Over the coming years, much of the so-called church in this nation will capitulate and compromise on truth. In their desire to become more culturally relevant, they will actually become more and more irrelevant in the purposes of God. Candles will be snuffed out. Lampstands will be removed. I believe some of it will be, will be very public and very embarrassing. Others will maintain the authority of God's word. We may well face strong headwinds and opposition and be spoken against. And what happens next will be vital. Paul pressed on, undeterred. If we stand firm and hold fast, we will increasingly become a center of hope, of restoration of security, of peace, and hundreds of people will find life and direction here. Yes. Do I get an amen? Yes. I got that from Brian, that amen bit. <laughs> Secondly, there will be a great stirring up of gift yes. throughout the body, an expansion of gifting, of calling, of anointing, of authority of capacity, of enabling. People will find they fit. They find their groove. That they become used and fulfilled. People will be repositioned as the Lord arranges his body. You know in 1 Corinthians 12, it says God has placed the parts of the body just where he wants them. And a few verses before or after, it says God has arranged the parts of the body just as he wants to. God's going to do lots of arranging over the next few years. It's going to be exciting. For everyone, men and women, there'll be great liberty. Where people have felt locked up, they'll find release. And free. something will become free-flowing. It will include an appreciation, a recognition, and a release of these gifts Paul talks about, the Ephesians four gifts. God will raise up prophets who will declare forth his word. And those of you that are stirred in the prophetic, press into that. We need the word sharper, more defined, more courageous than ever before. God will raise up evangelists to lead the charge into a world that's longing to be loved. And I really appreciate, is it, is it David? Appreciate what David shared on, because I really believe God will raise up shepherds in the body here with an extraordinary ability and an anointing to lead and care for God's people. God's spoken over the years about being an Antioch church, being a base church for sending ministry into the UK and into the nations. And I believe we'll see that over the coming years. Others will draw on us and we'll be able to help and equip. Does this sound right so far? Yeah. Fantastic. Number three. You're on four. I've only done two, Chris. That's momentum for you. Number three, there'll be an expansion of the elders and deacons. As we keep growing, we will need to expand the eldership here in Stony Stanton, and we will need an eldership in Tamworth, and an eldership in Market Harborough. Um, That will also be the next stage in Kenya, and will provide security and an anchoring of the work, and... Sooner rather than later, we will also need to add deacons and redefine some roles and lay hands on many people for the anointing and the expansion they will need to serve God's growing people. Fourthly, number five for you Chris, new congregations. Because your boundaries will be your starting places is a present word. Not yet fulfilled. We have made a start, but there's much more. What about the other key centers in Leicestershire or in Northamptonshire or in Warwickshire? It's good to have people willing to move. To pioneer and break new ground. I I believe some people will be repositioned will be replanted in fresh soil. Some who who begin to feel pot-bound will be replanted and will begin to flourish in a new environment. And I I appreciate Brian's word on Friday night, we will stay one family. We're not talking about breaking up, we're talking about advancing and establishing. As we're ready, when the time is right, when the moves will enhance us, not weaken us, We will raise a flag in other places and we'll open more doors and we'll see more people added and finding life, hope, direction and purpose with us. Fifthly, we will develop our facilities so that what we have here and there provides us with a base that's suitable for the kind of church and hub we will become. Number six. Extraordinary miracles. I long to see more healings, more miracles. We're not letting go of God's word that we will be a haven of health. I want to thank God for all we see. We see people healed regularly. Praise God for that. But we're hungry for more. We've tasted the powers of the age to come. And we want the world to know that our God is able to heal and transform And make a way where there is no way. And lastly, there will be growth in every place. We will experience sustained daily addition. Do you know, we've seen that once. There was a month when we saw, on average, two people giving their lives to Christ each day of that month. So we've been there. That was a moment. But we're looking for momentum. We need to get used to the idea of constant, significant growth and the upheaval it will bring. The demands it will put on us, the energy it will cry, the change we will need to embrace it. We need to know God will add wild flowers, people of diverse backgrounds, wild and the wealthy. God will change our composition. To represent all sections of society. But God said there won't be sections here. It will be one beautiful garden. Yeah. Now I'm not saying we'll accomplish all of that by Christmas. <laughs> but we will do by one Christmas. But, but I don't want you to imagine all those things are far off. No, not, yeah, right. To be really encouraged we have all that we need. The beginning of Ephesians, Paul says you've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When Kerry was with us a couple of weeks ago, I don't know whether it was here or in Harbour, but he read, he read the verse in Second Peter chapter 1 where, where Peter says you've received, you've, 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 you have the divine nature and everything you need for life and godliness. And I'd like to just turn you, in, as I roughly draw things to a close approximately, in a sort of, we'll get there soon sort of way. Genesis 1, because there's a, there's a truth in here that I want us to think about this morning. In Genesis 1, verse 31, everything starts in God and everything usually starts in Genesis. In Genesis 1.31, it says, God saw all that he'd made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. God created the universe with all that it needed to start growing and keep growing. I I pray God will give us some revelation here. Everything by that seventh day had all that it needed within it for endless growth. Everything it needed was in it because everything that was living had within it seed the trees the plants the vegetation the animals the reptiles the fish the birds the man and the woman had within them seeds and all the seed for all the future growth for all the earth and indeed the heavens was all there at the beginning. Yes, it was. It was. Everything that's come forth since then, the expansion of the universe, seven billion human beings, that's the ones alive today. There's about the same number of lived and died. There's more people alive today than have ever lived and died. Yeah. Right. Amazing statistic. Yeah. More than half the people that have ever lived are alive today. But anyway, I digress all of that was there in the beginning god did not intervene to put more seed into the world he didn't add to his creation his creation was finished at the end of the sixth day everything was there in seed form everything was waiting to spring forth into life into reproduction into expansion and multiplication and momentum All the seeds of momentum were there at the start. When Paul arrived in Ephesus and led those 12 disciples into the essential foundations, God gave them there and then all they needed for everything that would follow. The 20,000, 30,000 came from the 12. When two small groups began meeting in Narborough and Hinckley in the early 90s, The seeds of everything that would follow were there then. All the seed for all the growth that God wanted to release to bless all the villages, all the towns, all the nations is already here. There's enough, there's all the seed we need. It's all here. God's not going to give us more. It's all here. I don't mean all the people are here, I mean all the seed is here. There's a big difference. You're carrying in your heart a love for the world, a burden for the lost. All the seed of all that God wants to do is already here in this room. Take a look around you. We lack nothing. We have all that we need for life and godliness. We've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's all here, folks. The only thing that really matters is what happens next. What will happen next for us, for you? Well, I know one thing. What we have is really precious. And we must guard it really well. Amen. We mustn't take for granted what God has done. We must take care with our thoughts and our attitude. We must be sure there's no little foxes let loose to spoil the crop. We must guard our mouths. We must guard our heart and our attitude, our belief in one another. Yeah. But I want to just finish with three things I believe are essential if we're going to see the momentum I've been describing, the things I've been describing. The first is this, we must pray and ask for rain. If I take you back to Genesis 2, verses 4 and 5. Now remember this, everything was there. God, didn't, every, God had given everything necessary for everything to start happening. But verse 4 tells us, that this is the account of the heavens and the Earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub had yet appeared, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. The first thing is this: even though all the seeds here, we must ask for rain, the seed needs rain. And we must ask God to bless and anoint and pour out his spirit. For we long for extraordinary miracles amongst us. The extraordinary miracles are all here in seed form. The healings we long for are all here in seed form. They're in our hearts, they're in our belief, they're they're in our ability. We just need the rain. Well, we need one other thing as well. well. We'll come to that. What will happen next? Will you crave his blessing? His refreshing? His anointing? His guiding? His empowering? His directing? Will you be at home in the rain? The second thing is there was nobody to work the ground. And the second thing we need to put all this seed to the purpose that God has for it, is people to work the ground. We must be willing to be sent out into the harvest field. I believe it's appropriate that there's a fresh commitment to our vision, a renewed love and a renewed burden for the towns and the villages, for the land, the land that God's put us on, our patch of planet Earth. Jesus can never be our hobby His kingdom can never be our pastime. He wants to send us, as the prophetic word came yesterday, as many streams and a mighty river to water the land. He wants to to give us a fresh heart for the land. He wants men and women who will work the ground. It means working hard. It means standing up, stepping out, stirring ourselves up. What will happen next? Will you ask him to give you a fresh love and burden? Are you willing to embrace the mess that might come with wildflowers and open your arms wide to them? We must ask for rain. We must work the ground, but there's one other thing. You see, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church isn't God's last word to them in the Bible. If you turn to Genesis, uh, Revelation chapter 2, Jesus also sends them a letter. Maybe 30 years after Paul's letter. About AD 90 perhaps. And here in Revelation 2 we find Jesus' letter to the Ephesian church. He commends them for their hard work. And their perseverance and the fact that they're sound in doctrine. All the things we'd want to be commended for that they are enduring that they test those that claim to be apostles but aren't but he but there's a danger lurking for them and Jesus warns them in verse 4 yet i hold this against you you've forsaken your first love they'd started well they'd continued well But Jesus, above all, wants them to finish well. And if we want to see ever-growing momentum, we will heed that warning. We must keep it simple. We must ask for rain. We must work the ground. But thirdly, we must stay in love. Stay in love. We must keep it simple, keep it basic, never get complicated, never lose sight of why we're here. We're here because we love Jesus. We've given our lives to Him. He's not our hobby. He's our everything. We love Him. I hold this against you. What a terrible thing. Jesus holds it against them. They're losing their first love. And the key for us above all things close my Bible. It's a good sign. Is that we stay in love with Jesus. What will happen next? Will you stay uncomplicated, zealous, and in love with Jesus? I really believe what happens next is up to us. We've started well, we're continuing well, but Jesus wants us to finish well. Amen. Amen there's a verse in um, acts twenty where Paul meets the elders, and it says that he they knelt on the ground together in verse um, where are we verse thirty six right at the end of that chapter he gives them some final instructions he when he'd said this he knelt down with all of them and they prayed uh, nobody's going anywhere by the way uh, nobody's leaving but that was, that was what happened there but before they finished they knelt down together and as I was reading this this week I just felt that would be a great way to end this part of the gathering yes. to kneel together it says he committed them to the grace of God be great if we can kneel together and recommit ourselves a fresh commission Lord we're going to finish well. well stay in love with you and see your momentum working its way through the life of this church into all the things that you so I'm just going to invite you to join me in kneeling before the Lord Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk